What's going on, Trail Runners? Welcome to another episode of the Coopcast. I'm psyched that you are here with me today. Maybe you're out for a run, maybe you're out on a commute, or maybe you are just getting ready for the day. But in any of those cases, today is a great episode. I got to sit down with one of one of my favorite coaches, actually. It's probably a coach that most of you are not familiar with. His name is Adam Pulford. I've worked alongside Adam Pulford at CTS for over 15 years. He came into CTS just as I was starting to manage and mentor coaches, and he was part of a group of coaches that I really got to cut my teeth on in terms of mentorship and development. And I'm incredibly grateful uh, uh, to Adam, not only for the camaraderie and the counsel that we've been able to offer each other throughout the course of the last decade and a half, but really to put up with a lot of the mistakes that I made early on as a coaching mentor. And we talk about a lot of that early journey at the very beginning uh, of this podcast. But what you athletes will really get out of this are two concepts that we go into depth on. And the first of which is how to create resilient athletes. If you have been in ultramarathoning for any length of time, you know that being resilient, not only during the ultramarathon itself, but also during training on a daily basis, weekly basis, monthly basis, that resiliency is invaluable and it doesn't happen overnight. It's something that has to be intentionally cultivated. And then we also talk about this concept of edge finding, finding your edge with intentionally really hard time trials and workouts and how that plays into creating a resilient athlete for the athletes that we coach and something that you guys can take at home if you happen to be coaching for yourself. I thought the conversation was awesome. Every time I get together with Adam, we always have a really good time. Adam's also the co-host of the Train Right podcast, which is the official podcast of CTS that he does in conjunction with Hillary Allen, who is another one of our coaches who most of you will be uh, more familiar with. They alternate weeks where one week Adam will take a cycling topic and the other week Hillary will take a running topic. Uh, they've got a lot of good, uh, really good guests lined up and guests already in the pipeline. I encourage everybody to check out that podcast as well. And hopefully this introduction to Adam will have you listening to both the cycling and the running side of it. But even if you don't listen to those, give a listen to this. I think all athletes can take away something from this conversation that I had with Adam on how to create resilient athletes and how to find your edge with certain workouts and time trials and things of the like. So kick back. Hopefully you don't go too hard if you're running on this particular podcast. You can certainly see how you can get inspired to do an edge finding exercise of yourself. Sit back, relax, open your ears up for my conversation with Adam Pulford on creating resilient athletes and edge finding. Thanks for having me over on this. I know it's late. Yeah, no. On no, Super Tuesday. Super Tuesday in DC. So it's really, it's it's a fitting time and place. Did you vote or did you already vote? I've already voted. You already voted? Yeah. Yeah. No, I didn't vote actually. You didn't vote actually? I didn't vote. I didn't vote. I, didn't vote. I, I feel like we're still <coughs> in this uh, 
time period maybe in life where like uh, taxation without representation <laughs> is, is uh, you're still, still happening. You're still hung up on that? I'm still hung up on it. My license plate reads that now. Taxation without representation? Mm-hmm. Seriously? Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to go validate that on my way out. No taxation. No without, taxation without yeah. representation. That's a long license plate. So what is it actually abbreviated to? Well, it's not my license license plate, but that is a official oh, DC. Like, you know how it's oh, like the sun, sunshine okay. I thought it was like a vanity plate. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was thinking. It's a vanity plate. That this would is be how people bold, get in trouble. <laughs> bold vanity plate. I sh- well, maybe next year when I, when I renew my plates. So that's the first commonality. We didn't vote. I didn't vote because we have a closed primary in Colorado Uh and I'm a registered Republican and all my choices sucked. Yeah, I I would. I would agree with that. It was was bad. Yeah, I am. I'm a registered uh, voter here in D.C. now, though, like that just changed. Oh, okay. But you've been here for two years now, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What took you so long? Uh, I was busy coaching. <laughs> I can see it getting married. Yeah, and getting married. I mean, riding bikes, uh, setting thresholds, you know, that kind of thing. So we're we're both pretty lame if we're in our nation's capital and neither of us voted in the primary. It's pretty bad. Yeah, I wasn't really ready for this question. So you kind of... I kind of threw you off you guard. You really just went for it. <laughs> threw me off guard. Now everybody's going to judge me and make all these like thoughts about me, you know. It's That's fine. fair enough. There's a lot of thoughts out there yeah, about fair me. fair enough. Anyway, so. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, thanks for having me over on Super Tuesday. Nobody wants to hear us talk about politics, though, so Ooh, we'll skip that. That's true. That's true. Um, we'll talk about coaching. Let's do that. Um, so we want to talk about building resilient athletes. Building resilient athletes. Um, but before we get into that, I think a good like transition to it, into it is mm-hmm. is something that we actually both share about kind of our coach mentoring like our coach mentorship that we've received when we're both young coaches and there's a reason that this is going to be important eventually so you're going to have to stick with me for a while but both of us we kind of got the shit kicked out of us when we first started coaching true semen yeah because neither neither of us knew much about the sports we were working with i was a i was a runner so i was an endurance athlete but i was working with cyclists and tri- a lot of cyclists and triathletes and runners mm-hmm. i was but a meathead you're a meathead meathead so we'll, mm-hmm. the, why don't you give the listeners just a quick kind of like <laughs> athletic uh, athletic background for you personally so <coughs> my my background is is pretty unique in comparison to uh, a lot of the endurance athlete coaches out there and i grew up northern minnesota where it was there were a lot of shoveling snow, uh, splitting wood, and uh, those are official sports in Minnesota. Official sports, yes. By the way, it's it's a whole like a Minnesota Olympic <laughs> thing. We don't need to get into it right now. But but uh, I was a fat little kid growing up, like just eating chocolate chip cookies and like loving life, being out in the middle of the woods doing nothing. And at some point, I found sports. I found uh, my brother really started playing basketball, but. I didn't want to do what he did. So I started wrestling and that really started to change the way that like I felt and that I like interacted with the world. And I was also obsessed with football because I mean, you're a man in Minnesota in the eighties and nineties, you know? So, um, so sports really changed my life and I played team sports all the way through college. I wrestled and I had a good friend who introduced, uh, the mountain bike to me and I started riding and racing mountain bikes and from there, I changed my major from chemistry to exercise physiology. 
And we had a coaching minor, which is actually really, really unique. Oh, yeah. Totally unique. And uh, at the University of Wisconsin in lacrosse. And so I was I was wrestling. I was competing and coaching anything that I could. Internship at Carmichael Training Systems turned into a job. And cue the meathead walking into Carmichael <laughs> Training Systems. <laughs> and I remember, I remember very, very distinctly. Because you came in maybe... You came into CTS maybe four or five years after I came in, yeah. And so I had some, I had some sort of like management or mentorship responsibility at that point. And I can remember a lot of our senior coaches coming at the time, coming to me directly and saying, "This freaking kid, Adam, has no idea what he is doing. Like, no clue. Like, what are we gonna like? What are we gonna do with this guy? Like, literally, what are we gonna do?" Are we going to fire him? Are we going to try to give him up the speed? This is going to take a lot of my time. Do we really want to keep him on board? Can he really catch on and blah, 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 blah. And it, that was a common experience that I had as well. Like our mentors were really hard on us. Is that a fair statement? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. Like uh, there was a lot of, hey, what, like, excuse my French, but hey, what the fuck are you guys doing? Yeah. Like really, come on. Yeah. You get, you have to be better than this. This is terrible. You should know this. You should know that. Yeah. And somehow... We both kind of, we were probably just dumb enough to stick it out. <laughs> we appreciated it enough, one of the two. Yeah, yeah you know, it's funny. I don't know why I was thinking about this the other day. And yeah, we were probably dumb enough. But I was thinking the other day that whatever happened to all of a sudden, I think it was I, I somehow got through the hunger games of internships at CTS. <laughs> and... Jim was like, you know, we're thinking about Jim Lehman was okay. We're thinking about hiring you on, blah blah blah. And then Dean was like, just crossed arms, like <laughs> staring at me. Too. And I'm like, what is the problem? He's like, you gotta look different, <laughs> which is a terrible statement to it's make. Terrible. Like eat, now, it's even worse. Like just with like athletic culture and body image culture and things it's like real that. Bad, but but at the same time, Coop, like it wasn't wrong yeah, either because yeah. like. I had a lot of upper body mass. Yeah. <laughs> are you are you a track rider? No, yeah. I'm, I was a wrestler. I yeah. raced triathlon. Yeah. And then every like every cyclist was like head down, walk away. Yeah. And you know I was wearing low socks at the time yeah. and mismatched kits and all this kind yeah. of crap. So, but needless to say, we both turned out okay. And. Yeah, I know the jury's the jury's still out on that. I guess <laughs> we we both turned out okay. We both turned out okay at our professions, despite yeah. not having a background in the sport that we were primarily coaching at the time. Yeah. And I'll say a lot of that is a byproduct of the Hunger Games, as you were talking about, and having mentors that were relatively hard on us. And I think one of the kind of the advanced coaching skills that we both took away from that is what we're going to talk about today, which is how to create resilient athletes. Because if you, as you and I have talked about a lot, it's one thing to give an athlete a training program. Mm-hmm. Like anybody can do that. Computers can do that. You can get them online for free. You can rip them out of, out of a magazine and you know uh, put tape them up on your fridge or whatever. But, ta- but translating that into to an athlete that can be self-sufficient and resilient through thick and thin and be able to compete irrespective of what level they're competing at, right? Local criteriums, local road races, local trail runs, whatever, up to the, you know, pinnacle of the sport. 
those are two very those are two very different things. And the programming, the X's and O's within what we actually might give one athlete versus another might be exactly the same. Mm-hmm. But creating that that resilient athlete that's going to be able to you know put it down when all the when all the chips are when all the chips are down. Mm-hmm. That's a completely different thing. Wildly different, and and I, but I think it's actual coaching, you know, and and where where that comes from or how you how you develop it, I think is if you ask me, how do you do that, Adam? I I that wasn't a, a question, but okay. Okay, <laughs> I, I, like I was gonna say, I couldn't give you a great. We're gonna answer come to that. answer though. Let's oh, try to come to answer. Had him hitting his head against the microphone. Um, I don't know how to communicate how I do that, but I know how exactly how to do that. Okay. So let's walk through like the practical yeah. scenario, right? You get, sure. you have an athlete and this is what people are going to be most interested in because there, there are going to be a lot of athletes that are listening to this podcast. Some of them are coached by other coaches that have our, our CTS coaches that have some semblance of this, of a framework that we were, that we we're about to discuss. Mm-hmm. Some of them, coach themselves, they kind of figure it out themselves. And some of them have other coaches, but irrespective of kind of any of those categories, the athlete can still do things completely on their own accord Hmm, to help build up this, this kind of like level of resiliency and base it off of kind of what we do as coaches and what, and, and how we translate that, uh, kind of translate that to our athletes. But let's kind of start out and let's like, I think that this is something that might be pretty ill-defined that we can kind of work out first. Like what is the definition or examples of an athlete that is resilient beyond their own innate capabilities that they have at the time? I've got my answer. You can, do you want me to go through mine and you can think about it? Yeah, you go, go for it. Okay. Go for it. You're- so a, a resilient, a resilient athlete in, in, in my mind is, one that requires very little direction and will compete at the highest level that they're capable of day in and day and by, by let me expand the the word compete mm-hmm. will com, will will compete but also perform day in and day out during yeah, workouts that's, that's crucial at the at the highest and smartest level that they can every single day with very little direction and do so in the simple pursuit of becoming better. That's what I think is resiliency. And it's in, and if I were to put, if I were to like put a spotlight on one quality, it's the day to day aspect of it. Mm. It's not the singular heroic workout or heroic race or things like those are awesome. Don't get me wrong. You know, when you have that, you know, once in a lifetime type of performance or workout or whatever, great. But resiliency in my mind has more to do with the day in, day out, consistent grind than it does any one highlight aspect that you can that you can pinpoint. So that that's my definition of resiliency going in day in, day in, day out. And kind of performing at your at your best with very little direction. Yeah, I like that a lot, and I and I agree with it. Um, those athletes are gritty, aren't they? Such a cliche word, gritty. 
Well, you use quid quid pro quo. That's hard. Already. It's hard to quid say. Quid pro quo. Yeah. I, I'm <laughs> quid pro quo. Quid pro quo. You said that earlier tonight, and that was very cliche. So I figured okay, I'd throw out gritty, but I like gritty because gritty. Everybody knows what you're talking about when he's like that guy, the gritty. Yeah. And and I so I agree with you in that those athletes perform at their best every day with little or no directions that we yeah. said. Yeah. But but I would I put an asterisk on perform every day, and you you probably mean this, but you can correct me if I'm wrong. Perform that doesn't mean that doesn't mean go hard. Correct. That doesn't hundred percent. Yeah, it's a good good clarification. That means they have an awareness of the impulses that have already been given to their body, induced to the body, whatever, in con- in relation with the resting time periods, with all the other crap that's going on in life, with the task at hand, uh, plan at hand, whatever, whatever the, the case is. And they can make those adjustments on the fly based on their own awareness and intuition. Yeah. Yeah. So here, here's here's how it would actually unfold. If I put a recovery run on the calendar, the athlete will go out and do the recovery run at the right intensity. Mm-hmm. If I say go and do these hard intervals, they'll go out and do the hard intervals at the right intensity. Not because they're being a training robot, but because they know that they, they have a, like an innate level of confidence that's been deliberately built up through weeks and months and sometimes years worth of training mm-hmm. that they know that that's exactly what they need to do every single time, time in and time out. Yep. And with that, if they're feeling like the recovery run or uh, the recovery ride or that hard ride is, is scheduled and they feel like, nope, that's no, not happening today, they have the confidence to take rest day. Yeah, and that's that's always been such a really interesting line because there are times where an athlete should push through that mm-hmm. and then there are times where you're absolutely right, they should back off. Yeah. And that's something that's really easy to say. Well, of course, if you're too tired, you shouldn't do this workout. And the opposite is also true. I was just going to say the opposite is true because I, I give my light, my athletes a green light like, if they're feeling good, if they're and they and they're riding, like man, I got good legs today. And say we got threshold set, or say we say it's like endurance or something, green light to freaking go for it, pin yeah. it. Yeah, and it's interesting that you mentioned the green light, mm-hmm. and this is why it's hard to do yet easy to say, mm-hmm. because there really is no green light. It's not like in, you know, in your case, in coaching cyclists. They roll out the door and all of a sudden their power meter turns green. They're like, sweet, I get to go hard today. I mean, we, we laugh at that, but that's what a lot of athletes are kind of like looking towards. I mean, they want the stoplight system that says, okay, red, I need to stop. Yellow, I need to proceed with caution. Green, I need to go. And it's never really that simple. And there's there's been, you know, how many, you know, dozens and dozens of iterations of training devices that have tried to put these stoplight, you know, programs on, uh, how hard to go or how easy to go or when to train, when not to train. And they, you know, they, they always need, there always needs to be a human element in that. But um, for the athletes that are out there that are trying to figure that out themselves, should I go easy today? Should I go hard today? Should I make an adjustment? Should I actually stick to the plan? 
when they're doing it themselves, there's this interesting there there's this there's this interesting division in the athletes that I've observed doing this, the athletes that are self-coach. Some athletes have no problem like making that decision. They're like, yep, I absolutely know, blah, 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 blah. Other athletes will like put their head down and do whatever they have pre kind of pre-programmed. And that's not to say either one of those are right or wrong, but I think that it's it's just what I'm trying to say is just hard for athletes to like figure that piece of it out. And I'm torn as to when we talk about creating a resilient athlete, mm-hmm. if either one of those situations lent, like lends more to that resiliency or not. Well, I think you need both. And I think you need failure and I think you need that success to uh, build the algorithm in, in the athlete's head. Right. Oh, I love that. And build the, build the algorithm in the athlete's head. I'm going to use that. You should use totally, that. totally take uh, take credit it. for it. You should totally do that. And, and, <laughs> and but what, because what we're all looking to with, you know, and I'm not knocking the devices out there, the whoop devices, the, the aura rings and all this kind of stuff. But like, I, I think it's somewhat can be hindering to the athlete for all the things, all the reasons and whatnot, and maybe setting some people back. It may also help to bring awareness to certain recovery states and whatnot. But when we're talking about athletic performance and resiliency and how to make decisions on the fly, and we could go down a rabbit hole right now and, and talk about like, well, how much can I do? And there's yeah, a certain time no, period to right. like uh-huh. throttle wide open for a long period of time and let's see what happens. And then there's a time period to dial that back. And you don't know, I have, I've said this multiple times on multiple podcasts, but like you don't know where the edge is until you go find it. So go find your edge and that's going to be a good benchmark to see, okay, you learn a lot about the athlete. You learn how gritty they are, how resilient they potentially could be. But it's also as a coach, you also have to understand that that is, that's, a, that's the point where they're at in their development right now. And that's where the algorithm is sitting, if you will. Well, for it's so interesting that you bring that up because for like normal athletes, I hate to like put people on buckets like that, but for the athletes that are not like trying to win world championships, I would rather have them step over the line a little bit and find that edge like you're talking about or just fail trying to find it in an, in kind of an effort to build a complete athlete or resilient athlete that we're talking about mm-hmm. and then bring them back from that then not then be fearful of overstepping it because here's a opinion that I'll step on a soapbox for um for a little bit i think a lot of athletes are unnecessarily fearful of quote unquote overtraining or being overfatigued or whatever category that you want to put on it because it's been it's been kind of uh, it's been posterized in the you know endurance media as this pervasive prevalent everybody's overtraining it's so easy to do it and the fact of the matter is it's really hard like it's sure. really it is really 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 difficult to like truly overtrain especially for a normal person who's got a job and things like that sure you can under recover and that's a that that's a related but different conversation but to truly do too much training too much training too hard whatever combination of those two things 
it's really difficult to do. And so when I look at it, when I look at this proposition through through that lens, I would rather have athletes kind of overstep it a little bit because mm-hmm. you can always bring them back as long as you're looking at the training. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, you know, we might ruffle some feathers here, but... That's okay. I'll ruffle feathers. There's no such thing <laughs> as overtraining. Make that statement. I agree with you, man. Okay. So for those who want more on that, just go search for overtraining, the latest on that underperformance syndrome, UPS, and, and, and start to, and, and then actually think about it, relatively speaking. We've, we've turned it, Corinne and I, your good friend, Corinne, we did, a, we did a podcast on that kind of early in the, in the Coopcast days, which is yeah. still early in the Coopcast days. Coopcast. But, you know, I think that there's this. So we've what, talked about it on this. Yeah, cast. we, okay. talk, we okay. talked about it on so this just, podcast. And, no, 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 no. <laughs> we, can, we can rehash it totally because, I, once again, I think that I think there needs to be a little bit of a course correction in, yeah. in people's yeah, mind because mm-hmm. right now, there's too much hype, too much drama, mm-hmm. too much everything that, oh my God, I can't overtrain. Wow, ooh, the, the overtraining boogeyman is going to come and get me. Yeah. And the fact of the matter is, it's just like very few individuals have the capacity to train too much. And by capacity, I mean physical capacity, emotional capacity, time capacity, yeah. the, like yeah. the whole nine yards. And so what became overtraining morphed into overtraining syndrome which is honestly like with all due respect to the sports scientists out there it's kind of a chicken shit way out of it because you're just you're taking the same phrasing and then just adding this you know syndrome to it because you don't want to describe it any (laughs) differently but really it should just be called like the purple syndrome or like just something like something like like totally different because you can get into an over-fatigued or under-recovered state, mm-hmm. but saying that it's solely the cause of overtraining, mm-hmm. I think does athletes a disservice because in their mind, they're thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to go do, I, t- today's going to be too hard. Right. And that's not the right way to build athletes. Yeah. Yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. And I, and I, it gets back to the point of just how you think of training in, in recovering where you're going because it, you in order to get better you have to you have to get tired you have to get worse to get better kind of thing is this so you've been recently on on a kick for edge finding kick man that's where I live my life all right why not, like I want to, I want everybody to understand this correctly because I actually think it's really cool why don't you like describe this edge finding in your like your recent passion for it it just seems like a recent passion passion to me because i've seen you post a lot about it yeah and and i think it is i think it may be a recent uh, passion if you will and i i don't think i can take full credit for it because it's a slurry of uh steve dr steven seiler uh tim cusick uh, general field testing parameters and, uh, you know, all the other knowledge that I've tried to, tried to learn in my life. And, and, and really what it, what it means is you find your edge of your capacity, your, your capacity of whatever you can do, whether it's a, a certain uh, pace duration, power duration, or call it a total TSS for a week or a day or an event and you try to quantify it as best you can and see what you can do. 
go up to the edge, the reason why we call it the edge is the edge of a cliff, right? It's kind of scary, especially if it's a 2,000 foot drop down. But if you go and you dangle a toe over it or you crawl up to it or if you're like bold and ballsy and jump off it with the squirrel suit on, you know, you start to learn a lot about yourself in those moments. And that's why I give it the analogy of edge finding. And I, and I chose that. I don't know if Tim Cusick, you can correct me if I'm wrong, if you're going to listen to this. I don't know if you actually use that, but he used the term FTP edge and FRC edge. I want you to define those two oh, terms yeah. really quick. Uh, we have a running audience use, here yeah. that's not going to be used yeah. to it. That's fine. Yeah, Functional threshold power. Um, we can also call it functional threshold pace if you prefer. Right. And, and uh, what that means is uh, about the power that someone can maintain for a, about an hour in a steady state manner. So a maximum capacity right around an hour kind of floats plus or minus uh, 20 minutes, if you will, depending on the phenotype of the athlete. So what you can do, and we've also called that field testing before, where you go out and you run as fast as you can for X amount of time. So see what your capacity is. See where your edge is. What's scary? Where's the line that's super scary of like, I'm going to vomit? Which is for me is like, hundred meters. Well, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you, you use this analogy of like dropping off a cliff and what you're describing is, is like literally going out on a workout and like spilling your guts out for an hour. Yeah. Like just, see, just seeing where it is just really super see. hard and you fall on your face. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes you get to the 50 minute mark and everything totally collapses. And sometimes you get to the 62 and minute and 30 second mark and everything collapses or whatever, but you're constantly trying to find like mm-hmm. where, like where that edge is through the intensity and the duration of the workout. Yep. And I don't think that, I think that you can be a normal person and an abnormal person to go find your edge. You're not, you don't have to be a special person. How often, how often have you been doing this? Uh, uh, Not often, not super often. Sure. Yeah. So maybe I would say maybe one, it depends on if they're racing a bunch, but Uh if they're at once every 90 days, Okay. But this is a workout that, or workout or time trial or whatever, that's intentionally designed to be hard, like harder than a race almost. Yeah. Yeah. Harder than a race. Yep. And you describe it as what? So, first off, I'm going to, I'm going to make the statement that I think that's a good exercise Mm -hmm. for all types of athletes to do around that type of frequency, Mm -hmm. roughly every 45 or 90 days, somewhere Mm -hmm. around there, Mm -hmm. not every week. Not every year, but every three months is pretty reasonable. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a good exercise for for two reasons. Well, actually for a few reasons. And I'll make some of these up as we go along, obviously. The first one is obviously just normal workout benefit. Totally. Yeah. Right? It's not like that workout isn't good for anything simply because you've gone so hard. The second reason is, is that although we're presenting it as this proposition of stepping up to a 2000 foot cliff in reality the consequence for stepping over that isn't really that big of a deal nope. and i i use this i use the same analogy kind of in the opposite way when athletes miss training so when an athlete misses a day of training for whatever reason they get sick they have some sort of crisis happen at work or home and the day just goes away that day of training doesn't evaporate into thin air. 
you get to replace that training stress somewhere down the line. And and in a lot of cases, it gets replaced to 90 or 100% of what you would have done before. You're literally just swapping kind of one thing for the other. Mm -hmm. The same thing is true as in this edge finding. If you do a workout or time trial or whatever we're calling it, that's only slightly too, too hard, whatever that means, like physiologically, you need a little bit more recovery. All you're doing is you're swapping the stress for that one day that you just did for something that would have happened down the line. Yeah. And so it kind of like it kind of comes out on the wash and I always go back to the principle that your body can only handle so much training stress over long periods of time and it's going to kind of even itself out. So if you go a little bit too hard on one day, no big deal. That means you just have to go a little bit easier on the next hard day, you miss a day, you can just replace that training stress in some form or fashion down the line. So that's a, that's the second reason I like it is because mm-hmm. you get this awesome workout and even if you do go a little bit over the edge, there's no huge consequence. Mm-hmm. The third reason I like it is kind of back to our initial point is that when you're finding those edges, you're finding that limit and you do it consistently and, it. Fr- and frequently, yeah. that's the key. You can't just do it once. Mm-hmm. You've got to do it with some type of repetition that's what ends up creating a resilient athlete because mm-hmm. they know that they can handle that level of pain tolerance and going that hard and there's it's a big commitment and they get confidence from it even if it's a bad, quote unquote bad time trial you could still derive a lot of confidence from it as long as you kind of like talk it through with your coach uh, afterwards mm-hmm. so that's why I like those types of things is because they serve this entire this entirety of a physiological purpose from the workout stress to a psychological purpose, making sure the athlete can like gain confidence from it. Mm-hmm. And then long-term, if they repeat it time and time again, it builds up this resiliency aspect because they know they have confidence. They can kind of like go to the well on a consistent basis. Yeah. And I, I, I think the more I coach, the more I learn that that psychological aspect is probably more important. Because whether it's, you know, one by 60 time trialing on a road bike or uh, mountain bikers, if there are any listening to this, uh, you, you pick a course, you pick a 5K loop and you just motor it for, you know, 40, 50, it's 60 such a minutes. hard commitment to do. It's a hard commitment, so but man, hard. if you can do that solo, just think of what you can do in the race and yeah. in the group, you know, for, for trail runners, I, I would say, you know, pick a course, pick, pick your a somewhat technical with some uphill type stuff and just, you know, field test it. Yeah. As hard as you can. Hard as you can. And I think, no, let's go, let's go back to my wrestling days. We would have three hour practices, three hour practices. And we would have live goes, what we call it. It was just live wrestling. So, and, but we'd have, um, uh, we'd also call them threesomes by the way. (laughs) Ooh. And where so what so let me explain this. Uh, you're <laughs> yes, in a, yes, please do. Yeah, you're in a you're in a big room with a bunch of grown men. You got t-shirts on and tight shorts. And what you're and you got three guys, one sits out while the other two live wrestle, and you're trying to score points, pin them, all this kind of whatever. But the guy that's out, he's doing pull-ups or push-ups or squat thrusts or whatever the coach like yells out at the time so you don't get to rest and oftentimes that exercise was harder than being out 
you know, in that live go in wrestling, yeah, in yeah. wrestling. So, and it never, and it doesn't make sense. So, anybody listening to this, don't think that this is the way to train. But wrestlers were <laughs> notorious for just training <laughs> way true. too much. That's true. Because we competed, we had like two, 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 like in high school, uh, or three, three, three in college, and it was so we wrestled for what nine minutes, ten, less than ten minutes. Yeah, that's what you, with yeah. a break in between, in yeah. between. So it didn't make it doesn't make a lot of sense to practice for three hours. But you got really fit. And I remember a coach saying at some point, like, we train harder in practice so that when you're out there on the mat, it's easy. And I remember thinking, that. I was like, huh, all right. So maybe some of my athletes listening to this, I'm sorry if, if that has carried over to the way I <laughs> You're coach. You're not sorry because it's going to make them better athletes. <laughs> Come on now. But for all the successful people I've, I've coached out there, you're welcome, I guess. <laughs> So here's a, here's an interesting proposition that I want to get your take on, and this is a, this is actually a big difference in your world being in cycling and mountain biking, and my world being in ultra running, is that you can absolutely take that strategy. We want to train harder in practice than we do on race day. Yeah. However, you want to define it: intensity factor, kilojoules sure. of work, whatever. You you could do that in cycling quite easily. Mm-hmm. It's almost impossible to do that in ultra running. Yeah, especially especially yeah. at the fifty mile and the hundred mile distance, yep. you're not going to go out and time trial fifty miles in order to prepare for a fifty mile race. You're not going to go out and time trial a hundred miles in, in order to do a hundred mile race. Yeah. Now, that's and I understand not, that by the way. So yeah, no, 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 I know, I, I, no, 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 I know, I know that you get it, but still, there still has to be some component of the training that's over, mm-hmm. right? That is harder in some form or fashion or multiple forms or fashions so that the athlete is as prepared as they can be for that level of physical, psychological, emotional type of stress on race day. But you can't solely rely on the physicality to create all of that, right? So in your wrestling situation, you're wrestling for three hours for what might be a, a a nine minute in totality type of event. So the physicality of it the overload on the physicality side of it also creates or is the catalyst for the overload on the psychological side of it. And that's also the overload for the emotional side of it. You've got all of them, but it's kind of created by the physical overload. And ultramarathon running, that that doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. So what what would you think or what would you like? You're just kind of, you're not coming in the situation blind, but it's not like your wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that proposition? Where you don't have that tool in your tool belt. Yeah, I, I just I would take the long term approach to it, right? And 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 you gotta. That's resiliency, by the way. Yeah, the long term. Yep. Yeah, and I would rather be conservative in the short term to be successful in the long term. And I, so yeah, that's the short answer. I could keep going if you want. No, keep going, man. So in in cycling, we kind of have our ultra. Uh, hundred milers too, and we call them uh, gra- uh, Grand Tour riders. And the first or even time, something like DK, or even something like DK, because it's yeah, eleven hour event for the winners. Yeah, eleven hours, yeah. right? Yep. Yeah. yeah, and that's a that's a really good example. So, D, this, sorry, sorry. Let's let's dirty define. Yeah, D, DK is the yeah. Dirty Kanza two hundred. It's a two hundred mile gravel yeah. uh, race in Emporia, Kansas. Yeah. And, and to that to that end, let's use that as an example, kind of like the first time that you ride your bike for over 10 hours. Like that's, 
you don't you don't really do that in training. Right. Hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. But you you do that at dirty dirty Kansas. Yeah. Holy moly, dude. <laughs> uh, by the way, I will never do dirty Kansas. Never have, never will. <laughs> that race this is an aside. So and the 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 first and se- second, I think the third year actually, we went out as a company mm-hmm. and supported athletes during that race. I went out there with everybody. And I have at the time I, I now have a little bit more experience, so this is no longer true. But at the time, I have I had never seen athletes so depleted mm-hmm. and so deteriorated at the end of a race as they were after Dirty Kansas. I mean, just not not just our athletes. I st- I yeah. stood at the finish line from the time the first rider came through to the time they shut it down, and eighty percent of the riders were like, "I don't want to see my bike ever again." No yeah. more. I'm done. I can't. Gnarly. I can't do. It. It's hilarious. Yeah. It's a gnarly <laughs> event, so people. Hard. Yeah, but I mean, not dissimilar from a lot of the hundred milers that uh, you guys are doing out there. Yeah, you guys, the runners. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and so I guess to that point, I think the first time, correct me if I'm wrong, the first time hundred miler that you do in running, you're kind of dipped in the baptismal waters of. Hundred milers, yeah. you're a, if you survive, yeah. right? And if you come back to running again, yeah. you're a different runner. Yeah, and totally. that's where I was going with uh, the Dirty Kanza example with uh, Grand Tour riders. Like the first time you do something like that, if, if, if the listeners haven't done one like this before, you have to just go into it with really no expectations because you're gonna get better. You will be different afterwards, and the first time is usually not your best time. No, it usually sucks. Yeah, usually really bad. Remember yeah. my first Leadville? Oh, God, I remember your first Leadville. You were a total shit show. <laughs> like the absolute proverbial, every sense of the word, like physical gear, everything went wrong. Everything went wrong. Like body went wrong. How many flats did you have? Five. Five? Yeah. Didn't you like break some part of your bike? Yeah, in the my days? fork. Um, my fork somehow uh, broke. It was a clapped. It's a long story. So somebody had a, a fork pump. So and it would just it was getting droopy for those who don't know anything about mountain yeah, biking. Yeah. So it's a suspension fork. So it was, it was droopy. So I couldn't climb. I couldn't do anything. So I just pumped the hell out of it to make it fully rigid. So I was riding this fully rigid like ten year old bike and all this kind of stuff. I was getting flats everywhere. Um, and anyway, to make a very long story short, it was the worst day I've ever had on my bike. But I didn't give up. So I remember I was coming up to St. Kevin's and I was like way off pace, maybe like 90 minutes to two hours off the pace that I was like told everybody that I would be doing. But good old Coop, I'm going to stay there until last soldier's home. He's at St. Kevin's. So I'm which riding is, up which is where and he's course. like taking a nap under a tree. He's <laughs> like, not holy true. shit, That's Pulford. Not. And he gets up and he's like, hands me a bottle. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, which way? <laughs> I think this is like a fish story. I'm taking a nap no, under you, a tree. Well, you probably weren't napping under a tree, but you were surprised. To I was see surprised me. to That's see you because I thought you were going to drop out. I wasn't giving you enough credit. Yeah, you, yeah, exactly. Sure. You th- you thought old meathead was going to drop out. Yeah, but I didn't. No, you didn't. It's a, and to your credit, and just to give the listeners a little bit of perspective, you finished that year. I, I want to say it was just under eleven hours. Ten fifty two twenty nine. God, man, my memory is pretty good. <clears throat> Mm-hmm. So just under 11 hours, like you're a legit 830 
Leadville rider. Mm-hmm. I've done 817, I think. Yeah. On the like you're a legit, like you're a legit good mountain biker. So to finish that, not that day, fi- <laughs> not that day, but to finish that race, like you're not close to the cutoffs, but you're, you're, you're not in this group that you should be in. Right. And I, and I think getting back to resiliency and I'm not, I'm not anything special, but I, again, I think the way I was raised in Minnesota, I think with wrestling, the background and stuff, I was, I was taught not to quit. And there's a certain time and place where pulling the plug for safety's sake happens. But if you start something, finish it. And I think to add to the element of resiliency is just, you know, don't, don't give in to the, the, what's going on between your head. You know, all the, all the negotiation, all the self-talk when it goes sideways. And I think the resiliency, what's a, what makes a resilient athlete is like when shit goes sideways, what do you do? Yeah. I think you learn a lot about yourself. I think you learn a lot about the athlete when you get that race report, when you build that hard workout and their reaction to it. Well, and the edge finding exercise is a great conduit for that yeah. because you're not always going to set a PR. Yeah, you're not always right. going to succeed. Mm-hmm. And by like constantly reinforcing this learning process that I'm going to go hard, I might fail and it's okay. And when it is going bad, I'm going to reset my expectations. I'm not going to give in. I'm still going to see, you know, where that edge is. And if I'm not as close to the edge as I was last week, that's no big deal. If you consistently reinforce that, exercise after exercise after exercise. And if you're doing it every three months, this might take two or three years mm-hmm. to actually do, yeah. which is fine. Totally fine. That's long-term athlete development 101, right? Long-term mm-hmm. athlete development. If you're consistently doing that, I think that that is the real difference between athletes that have a high level of resiliency that are going to do the, that are going to, they're going to do the work whether it's hard work or easy work or whatever, day in and day out, and the ones that are not going to, they've just simply tested themselves more, yep. right? Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's that's it 100%. And, you know, it's important in our both of our sports uh, for, like you said, the workout development aspect, the cognitive aspect of it, the pacing aspect of it, the, the, the technical negotiation under throttled, feeling aspect yeah yeah <laughs> that's the best way that's, to yeah, that's that one. good that's a decent way to describe it <laughs> it's the same thing in trail running no it's the same yeah. thing in trail running where you yeah. need it's not just a physical task right so in trail running you're putting out maximum physical effort right. while having to negotiate some level of technical terrain for example adam following coop down bar trail after following him up the incline oh yeah mm-hmm. yeah we've done that a lot yeah it really yeah, hurts. with ice Oof. And snow. Yeah. How many times have I almost died? Oh, have anybody, all of us almost died on that trail? Well, I took my hardest trail fall ever on Bar Trail. I still remember this. It was during the Pikes Peak Marathon one year. Mm-hmm. And I was coming down, of course. Mm-hmm. And it was just before you get to Bar Camp, which is the halfway point on the Bar Trail. So mm-hmm. this is like mile, like maybe 20 into the uh, into the marathon. And I hooked a toe on a rock on a relatively benign section of trail. You know what this is like as a mountain biker. You always wipe when the trail's not very technical. So I was flying downhill. I was actually having a really good race. Hooked a toe. And I landed on my greater trochanter or my hip pointer, right, is the colloquial term for it, right on a rock. Oh, my God. 
And oh, it just sent that. this. I mean, it's like it's the equivalent of having your funny bone hit, except with the full with weight the of your body <laughs> falling down on it. <laughs> and my leg was numb almost the entire rest of the descent. I could still run, but I couldn't, I had no proprioception. So I couldn't, I literally couldn't feel the ground. And if you, if you have never, if you, if you've ever had an appendage without proprioception and you're oh. having to use it for like kinesthetic feedback, it's impossible to do anything. Like when you hit your funny bone, you try to grab a glass of water or like write with a pen or something. It's, it's like impossible to do because you, you don't have that sensation like coming back to your brain. I was trying to run full speed with that and it was so klutzy. Like I probably fell like three or four more times in kind of a benign way because it was just like, yeah, it was just weird. It was like a little noodle like a little leg noodle kind of like flopping around and it did like it it hurt a lot at the time it sounded even worse like it was just a horrific thud yeah. it sounded even worse but the after effects were way worse than rolling an ankle or doing it like doing anything else like that because i literally just could not feel my foot it was hilarious did you finish i did finish of oh. course Resiliency. Uh, yeah, I don't know. But I mean, <laughs> kind of going to that, I mean, I, I so it, in all honesty, I've been, I would say I've been fairly successful at, yeah. at ultra marathon running. I've had DNFs when I shouldn't have DNF'd and things like that. I mean, that's just part, part of the game. But I chalk a lot of that up personally. And I use this, I, I kind of use a similar theme with my athletes. I chalk a lot of this up personally to going through a collegiate track and field and cross country program, it, which is very similar to your wrestling analogy. I went to a big university and we, I was a very, very mediocre runner on a very mediocre team. But the, the thing that I took away from that program at Texas A&M is we went to the well every single workout every single week for nine months out of the year because we ran cross country, indoor track, and outdoor track. We had very, in fact, it might have been 10 months out of the year after it was all said and done. And just the consistency of working out with a, a, a group of people that were all duking it out every single day yeah. for five years, it took me an extra year to graduate. <laughs> for, for five years, nine months, that consistency every single week, every single month, for five years just created this confidence and this mentality or grit, right? Mm -hmm. To use your vocabulary mm -hmm. that I could draw, I, I still draw upon. I'm 40 years old now, you know, I graduated 20 years ago, two decades ago. I still draw upon a lot of that because it was, it became so ingrained in like my soul, for lack of a better word. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't, no, I probably said this to multiple people, multiple athletes, uh, but whenever I'm having a mad day on the bike, I just think of any, like not one, but any college wrestling practice. And I'm like, nope. So easy. I'm fine. I'm, I'm fine right now. Well, Nobody's but, trying to punch me in the face, rip my arm off. Like, don't have to do this for three hours with a sledgehammer banging against I, my head. I think the, the key with that, Adam, that's such a brilliant statement, is you said any. Any. Not just sure. one. Yeah, right. Any that is exactly the point. Meaning you've had so many other experiences mm -hmm. that are over, mm -hmm. right? Talk, going back yeah. to overtraining, yeah. right? That are over the experience that you're having at that particular time that you just kind of look at like, man, whatever. 
Yeah, that's it. That's the lesson right there is mm-hmm. to have those over in air quotes experiences and do them repeatedly and not be afraid of whatever the consequences are. Yeah. Even if you're coming at even if you're coming at sports late in life because that's what a lot of people will say, well, you know, you're 20 and you're more resilient at the time because your physiology is different and you're younger and you've got all this testosterone and you know, you can recover faster and blah blah blah. There's still an appropriate level for an endurance athlete that comes into sport like later in life mm-hmm. where they can consistently like consistently and resiliently like challenge themselves in order to create this athlete that can handle all those situations. Yeah, no, that's it. We, we would also, um, it, it was kind of funny. Old man strength was, was something that we talked about. Oh God, I love, I love the fact that that term exists everywhere. It, it's everywhere. <laughs> it was in wrestling and then it was in cycling when I got there and all this kind of stuff. We talked about old man strength, like, yeah, right. Yeah, the yeah. guys that were just super gnarly back in the day, uh-huh. they can still smash it out now. And, and, and it's and so you talk about it, but yet, and it's what we're talking about here. It's resiliency, it's grittiness. And they can, you know, sit on the couch for a couple of weeks, show up and still kick the crap out of you. But it's, but it, it's more here, right? It's not old man. It's not like they got a bunch of my, mitochondrial that is exponentially growing in their legs. And all of a sudden they show up to the group ride. No, it's like they went through some crap. Old man strength is really resiliency in like a different format. That's right. I love that. Yeah. Oh my god! I'm reminded of um, heard it now. Um, oh my gosh! I'm totally blanking on his name. Mountain biker from the '90s. Uh, old one. woman strength. I think is a thing too, though. Well, old person. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm 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 sorry if you're listening to this, but Rebecca Rush. That's like the first thing that comes to my mind. Like she will eternally be yeah. a total badass, yeah, because of that, the totality of training and racing that she's done. I'm gonna change my definition of resiliency to Rebecca Rush. That's well, just the definition. You have the best alliteration ever. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> a whole so. bunch of R's. <laughs> R cubed. R cubed. R yeah, cubed. We'll, we'll yeah. coin that, okay. Rebecca. Thank you for that. I'm gonna go <laughs> bottle it and sell it now. She's riding the Iditarod on a <laughs> snow bike right what now. That is such a badass. Yeah. <laughs> Insane. Anyway, tangent. We we tangent. No, I mean, but that's that. totally no, relevant. I mean, true. so um were you around when Andy Lapkiss was an intern? I know the name may have I been I think he came like in like right before you. So as I came on. So yeah. anyway, um Andy Lapkiss. Andy oh, Lap- yeah. So Andy Lapkiss um Nobody, nobody listening. Yeah, nobody yeah. listening to this podcast is gonna uh, is gonna is gonna uh, think that this name is remarkable. But he's actually he is a he's very a remarkable, yeah. very remarkable individual, and I'm very fortunate to to know him and work alongside him for a few years. He was one of the most renowned guides on Everest for several years, and very and very tragically uh, lost part of both of his feet uh, in the end of thin air year. Uh, mm-hmm. while he was uh, uh, trying to save and, and did save a, a client's life. And at the time, I think this still might be the case, they recorded the highest bivouac ever on that mountain because they got caught up in that storm. Oh. And he was known, first off, he's one of the few people that have summited Everest without oxygen. So it tells you what an aerobic beast he is. Mm-hmm. But he was very well known for the care that he took 
for um uh for his clients and it kind of showed up in this very big way saving his client's life by lying on top of them during one of the most epic storms uh, ever on everest but the relevance to this is is while he was a a mountain guide he was also big into the adventure racing scene mm-hmm. i raced for team bale and things like that which mm-hmm. that's kind of where rebecca grew up and i can't remember whether they were on the same team for a couple of years or they competed against each other but anyway one day when he was kicking my ass you know riding bikes around colorado springs because once again i mean he's a you know he i was 25 and he was 55 and he was old man strength old right strength. like mm-hmm. not not close like he was just totally destroying me on these rides and uh, he would tell me, you know, some of the things that they would do in adventure racing. And he would, all, and this is before I knew Rebecca. Mm-hmm. He'd always say that re, that after the second night, Rebecca was the strongest person on her team. Hmm. She'd carry all the weight. She'd boss yeah. everybody around. Yeah, no, I, I, I believe it. I mean, hundred <laughs> percent. And, and you know, she was just a total, like, very, very proverbial badass. Yeah. So she's yeah. gonna kick ass. It. I did a bike. Yeah, I did a bike then. Golly. Yeah. For there's, a run, who, there's a running race that does that too. Oh, yeah, no, sure. thank you. No. I'm not that resilient. Okay, I was going to say you didn't sign up, did you? No, uh-uh. Okay. No, thank you. Where was the tangent there? We started talking about Rebecca. Oh, yeah. So Resiliency. I, we're still on it, man. We're, we're flowing. I know. We're I, flowing. I think that, once again, an example of somebody who has kind of consistently gone to the well, and she's done her own version of edge finding mm-hmm. throughout the years, adventure racing, mountain biking, 24-hour world championships. Mm-hmm. I mean, she has the, the the moniker, the queen of pain for a very specific reason. It's that reason mm-hmm. going through an exercise just like you described many times in competition, out of competition over the course of, for her, I'm sorry, Rebecca, decades, not yeah. just years, right? Decades yeah, of sure doing was, it. Yeah. That that's something that's like super powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I would even, I'll throw this into the mix. Don't know if it's what we're going to talk about, but there's, there is a different level of doing that for years and decades in comparison to a season or a workout. Right. What do you mean by that? What I mean is like, she has been, the top of that endurance crazy game of like just setting different levels of oh, what it means to be yeah, like, yeah, yeah, like yeah. a pioneer of endurance athletics um, for, for so many years. Right. And to, and even the way that she does it as well, and even get back to like a hundred milers too, like it, it's just such an gnarly ultra way of finding an edge. And, and there's, there's because of the longevity, because of the longevity. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about to be able to yep. do that for a year and year yep. and year. I mean, that's, it's not only like, uh, like really good self care and habits combined with amazing genetics combined with a very healthy mindset and having some fun. I've always considered to ping off of that aspect the athletes that do like the Leadville Trail 100 mountain bike or the Leadville Trail 100 run or the Western States 100 mm-hmm. and they get their 10-year buckle in 10 consecutive years, mm-hmm. I think that that is a, like a more amazing accomplishment totally. than almost any course record, yeah. any one single day awesome event because of the consistency that that takes to just one to get to the start line, right? You know how finicky that is. 
just to get to the start line and then to get to the finish line in those types of arduous events a decade in a row. Yeah, I I just I don't know. Like what else tops that? Right. I mean, you could even say that, like, let's just take the most extreme example. Right. We were just talking about Rebecca. She wins. I did a bike. Mm -hmm. That's one. That's not one single day. That's one single event. Right. One single event. I would still say that a decade of of finishing whatever ultra endurance, whatever. Yeah. Trump. It's hard to say that it trumps that because it's like, but I, I just think that it's a better example of resiliency to come back to the theme than yeah. that one single event because of the longevity of it. Yeah, and again, that's why I proposed this as like it's a next level of resiliency because of the the longevity or the or the time component too. Because the that mindset that you bring in, and I don't know, maybe those ten year buckle guys and gals never started with that goal, so can't speak to the. Yeah, maybe they did. I I don't know, but um, <clears throat> what I mean by that is for them. To keep on coming back, it's a different all-in mentality versus that I'm all in on the Adita bike or I'm all in on that right. 100 miler, and it right. is it is completely different. It's just another tangent. I was listening to a podcast, Payson McLeaven, with his adventure stash. If you haven't listened to it, it's pretty good. He yeah. he, he interviews some adventure people, but he was talking to Justin Williams, who's a sprinter, and Payson's a endurance guy. Yeah. Williams is a sprinter and they were talking about the differences of like Payson's like, man, I don't know how you do it. It's like 1900 Watts for, you know, 10 seconds. He's like, he's like, that ain't nothing compared to your six hour time trialing through the woods. You know what I mean? And and so, but it's a, it's, it's fun to talk about that edge finding because you can, you can take that edge finding principle concept, whatever, and you apply it to any duration that you want and you explore yourself in all those aspects and you make it sports specific as well. Yeah, I love that exercise, man. I'm really glad we kind of came back to that. Yeah, I mean, it's. I'm glad that it's been a recent fascination of yours, and I just happened to have caught on to it recently. Well, yeah, one, I mean, that's one good thing that Instagram is good for. One good thing. That's one thing that Instagram is good for. Yeah. So I find out about Adam's fascinations. I mean, who can stay in touch? <laughs> that's sad. I'm just going to call you next time, dude. What are you up to? <laughs> I'm edge fighting right now, yeah, Jason. Exactly. All right, don't answer if I'm doing that. <laughs> All right, let's put a pin in it there, man. <laughs> Otherwise, this is going to get too silly. Thanks for having me over yeah. on Super Tuesday, man. Hey. I'd be remiss. You guys should check out uh, Coach uh, Adam Pulford's and Coach uh, Hillary Allen's podcast, the Right podcast, which comes out weekly. Adam, you want to give the listeners kind of a... Uh, an overview of what the vibe is there. I think it's a cool format. Yeah, yeah. The vibe, uh, we are we are trying to spread the gospel of endurance performance, wh- wh- whatever it takes to kind of elevate the listener's game and uh, to kind of help you not only between the ears, but, you know, uh, with the legs and lungs, uh, get you the education from the latest uh, athletes, the latest physiologists and coaches to help you in your journey. So uh, Hillary's taking the running, I'm taking the cycling and triathlon and we're, we're dishing them out weekly as best we can. And this episode might even land on there as we, as we share it, who knows, but yeah, check it out. Train ride podcast. And you guys have already had 
like the likes of Alex Hutchinson on. Who else? Alex Hutchinson. Yeah, Dean Carnassus. Dean Carnassus was on there. Uh, Christy Ishwanden was just on there. Uh, I just interviewed Jim Miller. Oh, wow. Which we talked. Oh, wow. Jim, oh, yeah, Jim Miller. Google Jim Miller. He's an interesting, interesting guy for sure. Uh, but we were talking um, a little bit about this edge finding and also like what it takes to uh, to, to build a strong mind. We were talking about the athlete mindset. So we were talking a lot about this grittiness and all this kind of stuff. So it's an interesting podcast. It's evolving as well. Um, I'm learning how to capture sound better (laughs) and I'm learning a lot from Jason Coop here. So, uh, but yeah, go check it out. Yeah. It's, it's a good one. You guys, it's, it's a good one to put into your, uh, rotation, but Thanks for having me over to your beautiful house in Washington, D.C. on Super yeah. Tuesday, man. Yeah, I totally. appreciate I'm glad it. you could come. And thanks for doing what you do with your athletes. It's yeah. been awesome to see your growth as a coach over the years, as we alluded to at the very beginning of it, from somebody who really didn't know anything about anything to, I mean, you're a master class coach now. Seriously. Well, thank you. It's cool. awesome, well, man. I'm glad we were able to get beat up together in <laughs> Carmichaelized version of things. So. I still get beat up a little bit. We've built up oh, yeah. good teams and good mentors That's around true. us that they still they still keep us honest, right? That's right. That's what it's it all about. any other way. All right. Thank you, my friend. Appreciate Thanks, it. There you go, Trail Runners. Another great conversation with uh, one of our CTS coaches. A little bit outside the space of trail running, but certainly I think uh, a lot of the lessons that uh, Adam has tried to describe uh, in this concept of edge finding can apply to trail and ultra runners. Certainly it's an exercise not for the faint of heart. If you're scared about doing it, don't doing it. But if you do want to challenge yourself a little bit, you do want to kind of dig into the well, kind of see what you're made of and take the data from that and find new things about yourself, new things about what you're capable of. I do think it could be an important part of your training regime. Thanks a lot to Adam for having me over to his house, putting up with me late on a Tuesday night, Super Tuesday of all nights. I really appreciate your hospitality and for putting up with some of my scheduling conflicts that came up uh, earlier in the day as I was getting up there. Always have also appreciated Adam's friendship uh, over the years. He and I have uh, kept in touch since our early days of kind of working out of the same office together. And now that we're on not opposite sides of the country, but a couple thousand miles apart, uh, we still can uh, uh, lean on each other for experience and expertise and guidance with our own athletes. Always appreciate you, Adam. Love you, brother. Appreciate you guys for listening. If you had not had the chance, go ahead on over and uh, check out iTunes and give this podcast a like or give it a review. Helps the podcast out a lot. Appreciate everybody listening. And as always, we'll see you out on the trails. Oh,